ministry and music. Appreciate that very much. <clears throat> well, I appreciate you all coming out tonight. Recognize it's uh, Super Bowl Sunday or something like that. Uh, something's going on. So it means all the more that you're, you're here this evening. Um, and, and I was joking with somebody before I said, you know, I, I should have promoted this a little better. You know, I, I should have said, you know, if you come tonight, you're not going to be able to see a football game, but you will get to see the service in 3D. See, okay, so we got, in, and in HD as well, although maybe you don't want to see me in HD, that's not what you were looking for. Either way, thank you for coming out tonight, it's good to have you here. Uh, we're going to be talking about the book of Ruth, so if you want to turn open to that, uh, that would be great, um, because we're going to be taking a totally different direction than what Pastor's doing. I'm not going to try and continue on his series about uh, the attributes of God, we'll let him pick that up. Uh, when he is able. Uh, but I will be preaching through the month of, of February. And uh, during that time for the morning and, and evening, I'll just uh, let Pastor series on pause, uh, as it were. And uh, in the evenings, we'll be going through the book of Ruth. And uh, I took on Esther last time. I guess I'm tackling the, the books of the Bible with the, the female names in them. I just seem to just seem to work out that way. So if you have your Bibles, that's great, because we're just going to kind of go through the story. It'll be easier to follow along that way, I think, uh, best way to do it. I don't have a handout for tonight or a PowerPoint or anything of that nature. Um, let me ask you a question to start off. Do you enjoy chick flicks? Okay, now, uh, forgive my, my slang there if you know what I'm talking about. Chick flicks, meaning the, uh, the, the movies that are the love stories, right? Okay, as in contrast to the action movies where things blow up, all right? I'm, I'm kind of more of a fan of, of that genre. You know, maybe you are more inclined to the, the other genre, the, the chick flick movie. And normally on Super Bowl Sunday, I, I understand that, you know, for people who don't like to watch the game, you know, there's alternate kind of programming going on, and, and maybe there's movies of that genre that are being broadcast as well, in case you're not so much into the game or the commercials. Um, and, you know, and in these, this genre of movies, uh, a girl meets a guy, uh, maybe that she can't, can't stand in the beginning until the end when she finds herself drawn to him. Um, or a love story where two individuals happen to meet by chance and, and then encounter and, f- and fall in love. Or that timeless tale where an ordinary girl ends up falling for this nice, handsome guy who turns out to be a vampire. Um, that, that's a little more modern. That was a Twilight reference. If you didn't get it, you, you know, just I'm, I'm glad for you. Um, because you're not missing a whole lot. If if you don't, um, you know, watch those or uh, in general, you know, that's that's okay. I'm I'm not that kind of person. Again, I like the blowing up stuff, the superhero movies, that kind of thing. Um, but if you do enjoy these love stories, uh, you know, you know the typical plot lines. And uh, tonight, I'm bringing you a different kind of love story. Okay, the love story in the Book of Ruth. And it's slightly different than, uh, than some of those you might see on TV. In fact, far superior. Um, it's a romantic story I actually like. It's a simple story. Uh, it has a sad beginning, but it has a happy ending. And the romance isn't what you would find in a typical Hollywood blockbuster. Um, but this is a kind of story that should be there if it were to be made into a movie nowadays. Uh, this is a biblical love story. It's the story of Ruth. That's what I'm going to be preaching through this month. And Ruth's story begins with despair, as I said, but it ends with delight. And along the way, there are some tragedy. There's some sadness. There's resolve. There's faith. There's hope. There's redemption. And in the end, joy. It's a romantic story that only God could have made come true. 
And it's a true story. Uh, Yes, it is a love story, but as we shall see in the messages that follow, uh, behind the scenes is a faithful God, the love of God, who cares for his people with a love that is unmatched to any on this earth. So even if you're like me and not normally a fan of these kind of stories, I'd ask that you'd give Ruth a chance because you'll find that it's not just a beautiful story about Ruth and Boaz, although it is that to a degree, but even more a blessed reminder about God's sovereignty and his ability to restore. So let's open to Ruth chapter 1. And uh, as we begin our story in verse 1, we learn that the events of the book occurred just before, I'm sorry, just during the time of the judges. So we're starting in the beginning. It says, Now it came about in the days when the judges governed that there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the land of Moab with his wife and his two sons. The time of the judges was a dark period in Israel's history. The last verse of the book of Judges says it all. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Okay, so Israel was constantly in this spiral of disobedience, slavery, calling out to God and God uh, delivering them in the form of a judge, then ushering in a period of peace and then falling back into disobedience. It just kind of went on and on. And here in this verse, we find that there's a famine in the land. Deuteronomy 11 says that that might have been because of Israel's disobedience. It says, beware, in verse, uh, uh, chapter 11, verses 16 and, and uh, 17, uh, beware that your hearts are not deceived, that you do not turn away to serve other gods or worship them, or the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you, and he will shut up the heavens so that there will be no rain on the ground, and uh, the ground will not yield its fruit. So that's a promise God made if they abandon his ways. And that's kind of what's happening here. And one wonders, is that the reason why this is happening? We don't know. Ruth 1 doesn't exactly make that connection for us, but it's a possibility. And uh, we do get the sense that the reason why the family went to Moab is because of this famine, because food was scarce. And so we see the names of this family given in verse 2. Okay, Um, The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi. And uh, the name of the two sons were Malhan and Chilion, Ephrathites of Bethlehem uh, in Judah. Now, they uh, entered the land of Moab and remained there. This is the the, the family that is described, and it says they lived in Bethlehem, the town where Christ would one day be born, six miles south of Jerusalem. But because of the famine, they traveled 50 miles east to Moab, just beyond the Dead Sea. So, you know, in a day where there was no cars, you imagine this is quite a trip. Uh, for them to make to get away from this famine. And uh, the word there that's used for traveled or sojourned really means uh, to travel to a place where you don't intend to fully stay there forever. Okay, It's just kind of wandering and, and staying there for a period of time, but intending to come back. So it seems like it was dire circumstances that led them there, but they intend to come back at some point. All right, so now the story has already begun on this sad note with a famine. Imagine having to leave your home But now there's going to be even more tragedy that strikes. And we're to find in this chapter 1, we're just deal with chapter 1 this morning, or this evening. Whoa, uh, mine's a little off today. It's this evening. And uh, we're going to just leave it at that. But this is going to be a a kind of a sad chapter for us to cover. Uh, Tragedy strikes again. Verse 3 says, Then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. Okay? So 
something important happens after that. Verse 4 tells us after their father's death, the two sons each marry a woman from the land of Moab. One is named Orpah and the other is named Ruth. And later in Ruth, chapter 4, verse 10, it'll tell us that Malon married Ruth and Chilion married Orpah. But in any case, 10 years pass and then another tragedy happens. Both sons die in the same year. And so verse 5 says that the result was the woman, Naomi, was bereft of her two children and her husband. Okay, so now stop here for a moment. It just rushes through those details, but imagine what happened here. Um, She lost her homeland. She had to leave. Then her husband dies, and then her two sons die, in all a very short period of time, as it were. And if you're looking for a female version of the book of Job, I think that's a good way for us to look at the beginning of this book as well, the female version of the book of Job, because when you consider all that Naomi is going through, you know, later on, she's going to say, my life is bitter and don't call me, uh, you know, Naomi, call me Mara. And, and, you know, the first times I've read that and even up until the present, when I read that, I think of Naomi as kind of like a complainer. You know, now don't don't call me Naomi, call me Mara. My life's bitter. It's terrible. And I almost have little sympathy, uh, hardly any sympathy for her. But consider what happens here. This is some terrible stuff that's going on in her life. And that would be difficult to handle for anybody. Even if it happened today and happened to you, imagine uh, if you were forced to move out of the country, if you had to move your whole family right now, uh, if there was a famine all across Pennsylvania, across the United States, and you had to move to Mexico, okay, or, or to Canada or someplace else across the ocean somewhere, um, you know, you'd have to leave behind your family, you'd have to leave behind your home, uh, you know, one that you've made your own. And, and, and then after that, when you're in this foreign land, your husband dies. Okay, so ladies, imagine that. As soon as you've already been uprooted and you've had this difficult thing happen, then you lose your husband. And then a few years later, um, you lose your sons as well. Okay, so this would have been a very difficult thing. For all that Job goes through, again, I like to think of this as the female version of the book of Job. And, and she would have been, um, you know, older at this time. This would have been difficult. Um, men were the ones in this time who handled the bulk of the hard laboring in the family business or the farming business. And so uh, that means that she would have had a really tough time back then. It's, it's tough for us to imagine now, but it was even more difficult for Naomi back in the second millennium B.C. because of several factors. I already named one. You know, the husband would have provided for her. Um, Secondly, this was a male-dominated society. A a widow had little rights or means of protection without a husband around or a father to care for her. Uh, A third thing that comes to mind is, again, Naomi would have been older. She wouldn't have been able to return to her parents' house, we presume, because they would have been gone. They would have passed away probably by this time. And she would have been probably too old to learn a trade, And maybe even in that cultural situation, that wouldn't have even been possible for her. Wouldn't have had the strength to go out and farm on her own. Um, Fourthly, it it was doubtful that she would have been able to have um, any additional children. You know, her children are now dead, so she couldn't even remarry. um, And that probably wasn't much of an an option for her. She would have nobody to carry on the family name. Uh, She would have been overwhelmed with grief. You know, sad already, just emotionally, but then as far as caring for your physical needs, she would have been left with very little options. This would have been difficult for her, and I think you can see why. 
helps us to identify a little bit more with her. And of course, Orpah and, and Ruth would have been devastated as well. They lost their husbands too, and they wouldn't have been married to them for very long. Uh, you know, I think it says after 10 years, Sarah and I are coming up on our 10th year of marriage this year. So I'm just trying to imagine what it would be like if, if I lost her. I can't imagine. The time would have gone by so fast. Difficult for anybody to deal with. Let's read verses 6 and 7. Then Naomi arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return to the land of Moab, for she heard that in the land of Moab the Lord had visited her, his people in giving them food. I'm sorry, not to the land of Moab, but from the land. So they're gonna, she's going to go back to her homeland in Judah. So she departed from the place where she was and her two daughters-in-law with her, and they went on their way to return to the land of Judah. So Naomi is now alone as far as her husband and sons were concerned. And when she heard that there was food, uh, she decided it was a good time now to leave Moab behind. Again, it doesn't seem like she ever intended to stay there forever in the first place. Um, it seems like God was showing mercy to his people at the time, since the famine had now cleared. And who knows, maybe even he had raised up a judge at this time, which is why there's a period of prosperity. Again, that's all not described for us, but again, it's, it's possible. Now, at this point, Naomi, and uh, she gives Ruth and Orpah a chance to stay in their own country and forget about her. Okay, she realizes where she is. Verses 8 and 9 say, And Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go return each of you to your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly as you have dealt with the dead and with me. May the Lord grant that you find rest each in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them and lifted up their voices and they wept. Naomi was essentially saying, you've done your duty by treating me well. Okay, thank you so much. You have done your job and, and you've gone above and beyond that. But now your husbands are gone. Um, she's telling them they no longer have to feel obligation to, them, to her anymore. If there ever was an obligation, which maybe there wasn't, they have fulfilled it. They have stayed with her for this period of time. And she's saying, go back to your mother's house. Get remarried. You can, you can be provided for. You can start over. You can have children. Uh, your life doesn't have to be over at this point. Forget about me. She's trying to, and, and I don't think she's, you know, just moping. I think she's really trying to look out for their best interests. She's saying, listen, there is nothing for you here. Go back, start a life. You can be remarried. Just don't worry about me. And that's a sad thing because they, you know, in part they know it's true. They know how old she is. They know the situation she's in. It's sad because they don't want to leave her, but yet they find themselves in the same predicament. If they do stay with her, then their future is uncertain as well. So they're all weeping together. And initially, both refused to leave. Verse 10 says, they said to her, No, we will surely return with you to your people. However, Naomi said in verses 11 through 13, Return, my daughters, why would you go with me? Have I sons in my womb, that they may be your husbands? Return, my daughters, go, I'm too old to have a husband. If I said I, I have hope, if I should even have a husband tonight and bear sons, would you therefore wait until they're grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it's harder for me than for you, for the hand of the Lord has gone forth against me. Okay, essentially she's saying it's, it makes no sense. Think about this logically. It makes no sense for you to stay with me. Uh, they probably would have been in their mid-20s by this point. She's saying even if I had kids tonight... You know, even if somehow I could miraculously give birth today, um, would you really wait until they're grown up and then you would have been 20 some years older than them? That wouldn't make any sense. Obviously, it's not going to work out. There's no reason for you to, to stay with me. 
Um, and according to Levitical law, you know, when a brother died um, without children, the brother of the deceased would marry the widow, but they're not even in that position. There are no other sons of hers for them to marry. Okay? She's saying, there's nothing for you here. Uh, Naomi didn't want to obligate her daughters to have to rem- remain. So she says in verse 13 that, their life, or that her life is more bitter than theirs. And again, that's for two reasons. Number one, I already said she's much older than they are, and she's not going to be able to remarry uh, in all likelihood. And even worse, the second reason that her life is bitter is because she feels like the Lord is against her. And that perhaps is even worse. Her, her, her situation is bad enough, but when you feel like God is against you, have you ever felt that way before? That, you know, problems just seem to pile up and more and more, and, and you begin to feel like, God, what are you doing? Like, where are you in my situation? Things keep getting worse and worse, and I'm praying, and I'm expecting you to come through. If anything, it feels like you're silent or that you're against me. And Naomi feels that way. You know, and Job felt the same way as well. If you read through Job, he felt the exact, he kept saying, God, why are your, your hands against me? Why are your arrows piercing me? You know, this is how Job described it. Naomi's feeling the same thing. So let's, let's treat her with a little bit of, of understanding, just as we would Job, because, again, a lot is happening here in her case. And David often prays in this way. You know, God, why have you forsaken me? We remember those words quoted by Christ were first David's. You know, and many times he felt abandoned by the Lord. And that's how she's feeling. She feels her life is bitter. So she gives them this offer. Go ahead, leave me. It's fine. Really don't stay with me. They offer to stay, but really now they're at this, this point of decision. What are they going to choose? Well, uh, when Naomi urges them a second time, Orpah decides to actually return to her family. However, something interesting happens, and that is that Ruth decides to stay. Verse 14, And they lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. We understand verse 14 to mean that Orpah kissed her goodbye. It just says that she kissed her, but of course, in contrast to what Ruth does, it's a, it's a goodbye kiss. And that's how the NIV renders it, if you're reading an NIV tonight. However, we remember uh, that when Naomi first told them to leave, um, Orpah refused. And this helps us to, again, feel a little bit of sympathy for Orpah. We might say, oh, well, she was the bad one and Ruth was the good one. Ruth stayed with her, the other one left. Again, she stayed initially and offered to stay. Uh, Even though she ultimately ends up leaving, she did stay in the beginning. And there was a period of time since the, the sons had died that both of them stayed with her. So I wouldn't be too quick to look down on this uh, first widow, uh, you know, like we normally would think to. It's only after Naomi told her a second time to return that she left, and then with many tears, not just in an uncaring fashion. But then we look at Ruth, okay? We do turn, turn our attention to Ruth, and we see that even though Orpah was devoted to Naomi, Ruth showed an even greater devotion. And when Naomi offered a chance to leave a second time, she didn't say no. She didn't just say words. She actually clung to her. Naomi tries to urge her a third time to leave. And in verse 15, she said, Behold, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth remained steadfast. And here's one of the most quoted verses in the Bible, sometimes used in a different context in weddings. Verses 16 through 18. Maybe you've heard them before. But Ruth said... Do not urge me to leave you or to turn back from following you. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. 
Your people shall be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. Thus may the Lord do to me, and worse, if anything, but death parts me and you. So those first few verses are sometimes used in a wedding, even though this isn't a wedding story right here in this particular context. But she says, where you go, I will go. Your God will be my God. And that is a deep level of devotion that we see here. And what's important to remember is that Ruth was a foreigner to the promises of Israel. We, we can be impressed by her, but we forget that she knew very little about who God was. She hadn't even really lived in that land. She was a Moabite. She was a Gentile. Okay, somebody separated from the promises of God. And you might wonder, where did she learn about who God was? If she lived in this foreign land, and that's where her husband had lived and where Naomi had lived, where did she ever learn about who God was enough to say, I'm going to be devoted to your God? Well, we, we don't really know, um, but we do remember that she was married for 10 years. So at some point in that marriage, uh, we, we might assume that her husband told her something about who Yahweh was, what God had done for his people. Maybe Naomi was the one to share it. But at this point, we can tell at least she knows something about who God is, enough to say, yes, I'm going to be committed. And implied in that is a measure of faith, a great measure of faith, that she would decide to choose that over the gods that she had been taught as a child in her homeland. We read on, verses 18 through 22. Um, When she saw that she was determined to go with her, She said no more to her. And so they both went until they came to Bethlehem. So Naomi accepted her offer. And when they had come to Bethlehem, all the city was stirred because of them. And the women said, Is this Naomi? She said to them, Don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with with me. I went out full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why do you call me Naomi? Since the Lord has witnessed against me and the Almighty has afflicted me. So Naomi returned, and with her, Ruth the Moabitess, the daughter-in-law, who returned from the land of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. With Ruth's decision being made, they both journey back for what will almost certainly be a difficult life ahead. And when they arrive back in Bethlehem, everybody's astonished, astonished at what has happened to them, because they remember how she left. Ruth will now have to... uh, help out her mother-in-law. They have come back empty, as Naomi has described. And and now Ruth is going to have to live with the reality of her decision. She's going to have to help her emotionally and spiritually distraught mother-in-law. Naomi's spirits are destroyed, and we can tell that by her words. She insists on being called Mara, which means bitter. Um, She's lost all hope. She returns in despair. And yet this is the situation that Ruth chose to be a part of to be with Naomi in her pain, and to share her suffering. That's what makes her decision all the more amazing. And, you know, remember that their problems aren't solved. So we're, we're relieved to know that Ruth is going to go with her, and that's great, and you can cheer her on and say, wow, that's a, ma- a great measure of faith. But then there's the reality. At the end of this chapter, they arrive there, and now what? Okay, that, that's wonderful, but it didn't really solve the problems yet. They still need a way to be provided for, They're still just on their own in a difficult culture. So what do we learn from this? Well, as we've summarized the first chapter of Ruth, the question is, what can we learn? And and as far as our romance story is concerned, it's quite sad so far. It's not a very good ending if we were to stop there. Uh, Nevertheless, there are some wonderful truths we can glean from it. And the first one is that we can find God's providence behind all circumstances in life. 
And by providence, let me define what I mean. Uh, That's God's continual care that he exercises over all of the universe that he has created. His constant power over all of his works to fulfill his will. And in contrast, uh, an opposite of that word might be chance or fortune or luck. But think about this, okay? As we consider this horrible situation, we know the end of the story, if you've read the book of Ruth before, which I assume many of you have. Think about this, though, in what God's going to do with all this circumstance. God had divinely brought that famine upon the land of Israel. Think about that. If you just looked at the famine, if you were in it, you'd say, why is this happening? But God used that circumstance so that uh, Naomi's sons could marry Ruth and so that her other son could marry Orpah and then so that Ruth could come back and choose to stay with Naomi. God had divinely allowed the women to lose their spouses in death. Think about that. That's a little harder for us to wrap our heads around, is it not? God divinely allowed the women to lose their spouses to death. You might say, that's not God. How could God do that? That must be the work of Satan uh, taking their lives. But, but we see that God is sovereign over everything, even the evil that happens to us. And we learned that from the story of Joseph, how even brothers having an evil motive and throwing them in a pit was for God's plan. And we see how God works everything together because we know how this is going to end. That even though their husbands die, that God's going to lead them back into the land and it's going to allow Ruth to meet Boaz. And through Boaz, um, bear, you know, ultimately uh, as a grandson, David, and, and ultimately be found in the line of Christ and to be blessed in, in an even greater way than she was before. Hard things for her to see in the moment, but as we have these eyes to see the whole thing, it's pretty amazing. Third thing, God divinely allowed Naomi to return back to Bethlehem. Okay? She allowed, uh, God, I'm sorry, God allowed the, the famine to subside so they could come back at the right time so they could ultimately glean in the fields of Boaz uh, where more of the story will develop. Okay? Again, the opening of our story is very painful, but behind the pain we see a providential working of the Almighty God causing all things to happen in such a way to fulfill His higher purposes. So my, my question to you tonight is, what difficulties are you going through right now? Have you ever found yourself in the midst of something where you're saying, I have no idea how God is going to bring me through this or what possible purpose God could have for this? Um, maybe you're in the middle of it right now and you're saying, this particular challenge, this difficulty, this period of pain, this period of depression, this period of being in need, in whatever way it is, you might be saying, I haven't seen the end of it yet, and there doesn't seem to be an end in sight. How is God even at work? I don't even think God's at work. It must be Satan. It must be um, something happening while God is asleep. It seems like God is against me. Look at the book of Ruth, and just notice how many things that God turned around. In fact, terrible situations that we see just in chapter 1 that were integral for the way that God would ultimately work out the story. I would say to you that God could not work out the story in the way that he did without these things happening. They are very key in, a, in, in the solution, in, in the way that God is ultimately going to bring restoration and an even greater joy to Ruth and Naomi in the end. And it's amazing. So, so as you think upon your situation... The big challenge, I guess, you could take home tonight. If you're wondering, what can I, what can I do with this first chapter of Ruth? What, what can I take away? Oftentimes, when we go through something, our first prayer is, God, could you please reveal to me what you're doing? 
please reveal to me what you're doing. If I could just see with the eyes that you see, if I could just know what your grand plan is in this, um, it would make me be a lot more at peace. My challenge to you tonight is to set that prayer aside for a little bit. Don't believe the lie that unless you understand fully what's going on, you won't be able to cope. Because Ruth wasn't able to see the end result of what was going on for quite some time. Naomi wasn't able to see the end result of what was going on for quite some time. And sometimes, a lot of times, God's will isn't for us to understand what's going on, the full divine picture in the moment. And it's not always necessary for us to know what is taking place. We can fully trust in God without seeing that end. And it ultimately ends up being a kind of bargain that we make with God, saying that, you know, God, I'll trust you. I know your word says I should trust you. But if if you just allow me to see what's going on, then I'll trust you. Okay? Um, Yes, I know I'm supposed to do that, but you could make it a little easier. And, of course, it would be easier, would it not? if we saw the end result of all things, of what God is doing. But in some ways, we can almost put it forth as, as a challenge to God, as, as a bargain. God, okay, if you just show me what's going to take place, then, okay, then I'll trust you. We see here in this story that God worked everything out, that God had a plan. And then even in the darkest details of chapter 1, God was using those intentionally to bring about something greater. So as you think about the situation in your inn, if you're wondering, how am I going to get through this? Where is the end in sight? What is God doing? I just ask you to consider Ruth's story and say to yourself, you know what? Maybe I'm in Ruth chapter 1 right now. Maybe, I'm not, maybe chapter 4 is a long way off. Maybe I still had a, a few chapters to go before that actually takes place. But I believe in a God who can get me through whatever it is I'm facing, because he did it in the past. He got Job through it. He got Naomi through it. He got Ruth through it. And I see even in those examples that he got them through without revealing fully what he was doing. And it's because it doesn't rely on us having the complete picture. It relies upon his character, and that doesn't change. It's a tough challenge. I say this very easily to you. And you might be saying, Pastor Dave, that's easy for you to say. You're not going through anything. And I, I have to admit, I, I am not, I, I, there's nothing in my life where I have been brought to my knees yet. And praise God. And if, and if he decides to do something of that nature, praise him still. And I, I pray that I would be able to still pray him. So I admit to you tonight, full disclosure, these are easy words for me to say. But I hope they're encouraging for you. And I hope that if God does choose to bring something into my life that's equally devastating to whatever it is that you're feeling or have felt, that I'd be able to be convicted by my own words, come back to this message, come back to this chapter and say, you know what, Dave, you've got to really follow your own advice. (laughs) That's my challenge to you tonight. Consider if you're in chapter one of your story and trust God that he'll bring you through to chapter four. Let's pray. God, we we pause now in the story tonight, recognizing it's not a very pretty picture that we see in the book of Ruth, but we're comforted to know the end in a way that she didn't realize at the time. God, you are sovereign over all things. You are in control of everything, and not just uh, to set aside difficulties that that we experience, but ultimately to use them for our betterment, to, to have them play a crucial role in where you're leading us to. 
It's difficult, God, when we don't see where you're leading. But God, help us to trust you by looking back in ways that you have helped your people in the past to know that you are a faithful God. And even in times where you have blinded our eyes to your plan, help us to trust your character, to know that you are a good, a merciful, and a loving God that cares for us and is leading us to a place of, of, of joy. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You are dismissed.